Welcome to the locker room. I'm Trig. This is a place where we break down sermons, scripture, and stories for the race of our faith. If this podcast has been serving you, hit follow and the notification bell. And just a reminder that there are two different ways that you can submit questions as we continue to wrestle with the text of Genesis. The first is right here on the app. So if you're to be listening to this, you can scroll right down in the actual episode and you'll see a Q&A box. Those questions that you enter there will go directly to us. The other is to submit them to locker room, all one word, at crossroads-bible.org, not .com, .org. And uh, we've been getting a lot of questions, and we're excited to dive into those in a few weeks. And then also, I just want to say, Libby, why is the locker room significant? And um, yeah, what are we doing here? Yeah, so we picked this word or title for this podcast really intentionally because we all know typically what a locker room is in the sports metaphor. It's where the team, um, first of all, gets handed their equipment. It's where the team gets their plays. It's where the team gets encouragement. It's where the team gets pumped up. It's where the team binds up their wounds together before they go back on the playing field. So the locker room, um, although it's a sports metaphor, is actually really fitting to what we are as a body of Christ. And when we come into this space where we're in community, whether that be on the waves like this or whether that be in the room on Sundays or whether that be in your house church or in a women's Bible study, all those places are mini locker rooms where you are actually getting hopefully prepared for the race of your life, like we like to say here on the podcast. And I know sometimes the locker room feels like kind of guy heavy um, in its terminology, but I'll just say that it's a metaphor that just works um, for women too, because we're gritty and we are very valuable players on the team and we have wounds that need to be bound up too. And so it's a gritty and it's a communal and it's a place where we're just like a band of believers together. And it, um, so we're just pumped about the locker room and what that means. Yeah. And when I think of it, I think of two simple words. It's sacred and it's real. It's such a sacred place. It's a beautiful place, but it's also a place that we can be very real. We can be known and seen and loved and we can love one another. Amen. And today I'm so excited because we have Gabriel. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Gabe? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Gabe Hartfield. Um, Gabe, who are you and what are you doing here? Well, uh, so I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, moved up here about nine years ago to do seminary and uh, um, yeah, did Western for undergrad. And when I came up here, uh, did ministry with InterVarsity. Um, if you want to go back just to how I became a Christian, um, I grew up in a Christian household. Um, actually, when we were eight, me and my brothers played church. Um, and, uh, <laughs> like you would play were house? Were you the pastor? Yes, I was the pastor. And uh, <clears throat> we found out that uh, cookies and milk got more attendance than juice and bread, so we <laughs> switched things up, but it was fun. So You tell your brother to repent of his sins? <laughs> <laughs> they had to do confession through me. No. <laughs> yes, you must confess your sins. All right, um, so... Go yeah, on, tell us yeah, the rest. Yeah, tell us more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How um, you came to so, know the Lord. Uh, so I I grew up in it, but I think it was more in high school that I actually like um, found myself taking more ownership over my faith. Always wanted to be a pastor. And then it was interesting because I went to seminary, did um, 
InterVarsity, and so I was in, involved with a lot of different ministries, and people just assumed I was kind of like the Bible person or whatever. And um, I had kind of a somewhat dramatic thing that happened while I was in seminary. I was driving home to my parents' house, and um, there was a accident by my parents' house. There was like an intersection, and when um, I saw the accident, I parked the car, and then I um, walked over and asked what was going on and realized there was like an accident, and they were trying to see if the driver was okay. And um, unfortunately, the driver passed away uh, right there, and um, there was a little old lady that was next uh, next to me, one of our neighbors, and she just said to me, you know, sad, isn't it? You know, one moment you're here, and the next moment you meet the Lord. And then she turned to me and said, um, you know the Lord, right? And I, I said, well, yeah, I go to seminary. And I was just kind of not even really thinking about my response. I just, you know, flippantly answered because that's what I thought I needed to do. And people always assume that I'm Bible man. So it like um, took me off guard that she would ask that question. And when I said I just go to seminary, she didn't even flinch. She just kept her eyes locked on me. And she said, not to be rude, but that's not what I asked. Um, She said, "You you know the Lord, right? And it hit me that I can know everything there is to know about God, do all this ministry, but if I don't know Jesus um, personally, then um, all of this is for nothing. So I think that was actually like a turning point for me where it like finally clicked, like all the stuff that I, you know, you know, playing church growing up, doing <laughs> ministry in college, uh, going to seminary, that all of that like isn't the big picture. The big picture is having that relationship with Jesus. So... And there's a very big difference there, right? Yeah. And that's what we've been talking about in Genesis, right? That God comes and he, he drops this book in his people's lap mm-hmm. that, is, uh, that begins by teaching them who he is, and he is a deeply relational God. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of those, the things that stands out from what you just said is that it's a both and, right? Um, people that are in seminary that are pastors might not necessarily know the Lord in the way that you're talking about. At the same time, people that are, quote unquote, air quotes here, lay people Hmm. might know the Lord so deeply. And so we get this concept of like a professional Christian, you know, someone who stands up front, who knows the Bible, but at the same time, there's just such high value in the heart that God places. And where you are in relationship with him is way more important to him than what you've checked off or your professional Christian resume, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. Yeah, I I love that because I don't want to downplay like seminary or like learning about scripture because I think that's so good, but it's a both and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, in John five where Jesus says, you're, you're searching the scriptures diligently, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing Mm -hmm. uh, because you think in them you have life, but these scriptures, they point to me, they give witness to me that, there's actually, and, and this is what we see in Genesis too, that <clears throat> the book is beautiful, but it gives witness to a God that is very real. He is near, he is personal, but he's also cosmic and transcendent. Hmm. And then he invites us into that in a really unique way. Hmm. So was that moment, obviously it shook you a little bit, but what happened in the, the months or years to follow? What changed? Yeah, so I think one thing was in that moment, it like um, kind of reminded me about the fragility of life and just how, you know, one moment you can't be here and the next moment there. And not to, 
make it a dramatic or scary thing, but I think for me, it just uh, gave me a lot of passion for doing ministry. And at that time, I had moved up to seminary, and uh, I needed a side job to um, pay for going through seminary. And so I went to work at Davenport as an adjunct prof and uh, um, helped there. And I realized there was no Christian group at the time. And so I launched um, InterVarsity. Um, I would meet student after student who grew up in church um, in you know, Grand Rapids, um, Jerusalem, and uh, they um, they would uh, know a lot about God. They would tell me their dad was like a youth pastor or they went to a Christian school, and I'd say, that's great, like, what about now? And over and over again, I'd hear kind of a similar response, like, I don't really do that. And it was like, um, not like they'd become atheists, but they just didn't find faith relevant um, or something that they needed to prioritize. And so um, a lot of people click the unfollow button on Jesus. And um, I, I developed a burden for young people and seeing young people come to know the Lord. And so I did that for several years. And then uh, two years ago, uh, started uh, working here um, doing young adults. So so we like to talk about here at, at Crossroads, who are you and what are you doing here? And then also on top of that, what's your street corner? Like where has God uniquely placed you gifted you as far as a skill set, but also given you a passion and a heart, which we're hearing so clearly and loudly coming from you today, Gabe. But particularly, what would you see as your street corner in the kingdom of heaven? What's your little corner of the world where you're bringing Christ? Yeah, so when I came here, um, I got the privilege to work with um, uh, young adults that are ages 25 to 35, adults that are young professionals, often um, out of college and in their careers. And um, so when I came here, um, I was trying to think of what to call the group. Um, I wanted like a cool, trendy name or something like that. And uh, after hours and hours of deliberation, I just decided, you know, I think I'm going to call it the post-college young adults group, um, <laughs> just to be very clear. But um, it, and it, uh, the thing about it is um, we ended up calling it now kind of the post is what we've moved towards. But the reason why we called it post-college young adults is because a lot of times I'd get asked, okay, it's a young adults group. Is, is it like college age or what is it? And so I wanted to make the answer to that question the name of the group. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've loved it. We've got, um, it, I've seen the group grow a lot. I think it's also a place where a lot of young adults have found community. Um, a lot of them came out of basically uh, 2020, where a lot of them did not have community. And so I think this is a place for a lot of people who are looking for community in that, um, you know, like when you're in college, you're in like that social bubble and you have so many people around you. But when you're out of that um, and uh, you may or may not be married, the, there's a lot of need for community. And so a lot of young adults have found that and um, seen the group grow. Um, find community and become passionate about their faith. We've sent people onto the mission field um, and also just have people from a, a broad range of different professions. So there's some people in the group that are weathermen, surgeons, um, business or sales, um, lots of just different uh, professions, which is cool to see. So, yeah. Yeah, I had the joy of visiting your group probably like a year ago now. Mm -hmm. And I had to go and like talk about something. I was introducing an idea, um, an opportunity for the young adults, but I just absolutely loved being a part of it. I was shocked, actually. Um, you're kind of somewhat of like a Pied Piper where you are 
leading them so well to Jesus and the, the full robust picture of what that looks like to be a biblical community, biblical community, like you're mentioning, but not just for the sake of community, but a passionate pursuit of Christ. So it was a joy to get to come and visit. It was great. Thanks. Yeah, there's a great group, a uh, great team of young adults that have just been helping uh, uh, lead the charge in that and stuff. So yeah, it's been really cool. So grateful to have you here. And it's wait, it's, Gabe. When do you guys meet? There uh, might be oh, someone who's so listening. Wants we meet to come. Um, Tuesday nights at seven p.m. We usually start actually at seven fifteen because that's just the way we roll. But that's uh, typical Tuesday crossroads. Nights, yeah, <laughs> um, and typical young adult. But um, <laughs> so it's uh, seven fifteen. Um, but Tuesday night seven p- seven p.m. is when we meet in the upper room. So yeah, right. I love it. Speaking of rooms, um, God created. Is that what a segue, right? <laughs> God created a special room in the tabernacle that represented the white hot center of his of his presence and um and then in that room there would be a person that would go in um once a year on Yom Kippur hmm. uh right yeah and uh what was the name of that person the high priest the high priest <laughs> But then there was also other people that were not the high priest that were priests and priests is what we're talking about mm-hmm. today and and um specifically what Rod covered which was Genesis 2:15 through 17 on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh this idea that we are not just kings and queens but that we actually have a role to play this priestly role. And I love that part of that role is guarding because that intersects with a lot of what you've been talking about, right? Gabe mm-hmm. um on uh in your ministry right now at Young Adults, right? Yeah, um, and actually, like, uh, just this morning, I was talking with a few people in my small group, and there's this one guy named Chris, and he was telling me that uh, he had some buddies that have been coming to check out church for the first time in a long time, and how they were just struck by that exact message that Rod brought up about um, guarding your heart. And they had uh, thought about how to bring guarding your heart into, like, their life, um, into their relationships, and just considering church. Um, but yeah, for young adults, it was kind of almost coincidental seeming because um, Rod talked on Sunday about guarding your heart at the end, and that is the exact thing we were studying this previous week in Proverbs 4.23. Um, and we didn't even, um, you know, correspond on that or anything or plan that. That's just something that happened or the Spirit led us to at the same time. So jumped into that. Um, so why was Rod talking about guard on Sunday? Let's back up the truck yeah, just a back, little bit. Yeah, okay. um, and s- the message on Sunday was Genesis chapter 2, oh, yeah. yep. verses 15 through 17. And, and basically it's talking, giving commands to Adam or to humanity as a whole to saying um, guard, to guard and keep the garden, yes. which God had created at the very beginning of our story, which is Eden, as yeah. we know. So okay. So the, the the exact verse that we're talking about says, the Lord God, this is verse 15 in chapter 2, <clears throat> took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. And obviously it goes on to talk about God creating Eve. But... I want to back up even further, which is when, again, we got to be reminded, is Israel given this book, right? It's mm-hmm. in between uh, Egypt and the Promised Land, which is really significant because one of the most important places for an Israelite at that time was the tabernacle, which is this tent that the Israelites carried and moved as they went on their way to the Promised Land. And this was where God lived on earth. So you got to think, they're getting the first five books all at the same time. 
Right. Right. So the idea is all the Israelites are living in their tents. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of all the Israelites tents is God's tent. So God lives in his tent while they live in their tents surrounding his tents. So God in the middle of their community is dwelling in this tent in this tabernacle structure. And then the design of that tent mm -hmm. is very specific as, as well, because that design sh showed how special it really was. There is the outer courtyard, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how Eden is actually set up to mirror this. Or mm. you could say the other way around, but you got to think they have this physical representation of Eden on earth, right? Mm. As God lives in a tent, so they live in a tent. And then later on when God becomes sedentary in the temple, they will become sedentary, right? Huh. And so it's this beautiful picture of his relational nature, even after the fall, which had created this barrier and need for a sacrificial system, etc. But then also uh, there was people that God specifically designed to work this space, mm. to to protect it, to care for the sacred space, to offer those sacrifices, and to announce God's blessing for his people. And they were to represent God to the people, but also the people to God. And these were obviously the priests. But one more thing I want to hit on, too, that is super significant about these pictures um, that God is setting up for us to understand our relationship with him is that in every... Um, in every uh, ancient holy place that wasn't associated with Israel and their God, Yahweh, in the center of that sacred space would be these icons or these statues or idols, you might say, hmm. that represented that God. But what do we know about the tabernacle and temple? There was like no idols. There was no, no idols. There was no images. And why was that? Because we learn from the text that we actually, especially we learn this from Genesis, that we are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so we are the only condoned or endorsed image of God in the world today. We are walking small replicas of who God is. So it, later he says in the story, do not make any graven images. That comes in Exodus, one of the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. because you are the image, and you are to represent the world, to the world, who I am and what I'm like. You are to look exactly mm -hmm. like me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's very weighty. So when that comes to mind for you, like, what are the implications, Gabe, <laughs> that you think about? Yeah, well, I think there's like a serious nature for how we represent God in this world. Um, one of the phrases I've used a lot is that when Christians love one another, it's what makes the invisible God visible. It's like how we actually help people see God. Um, I think that when you're hitting on in Genesis there, when in verse 215 of Genesis, how he said we're supposed to work and we're supposed to care for the garden. And Libby, I, I know we were having a conversation last week about um, that word um, that's used for care for, because I think that um, it's also can be translated as keep or guard. Um, True, that, yeah. Uh, Shamar, Shamar is the word, the Hebrew word, yep. And I thought it Again, was you can look up that word, guys, on HebrewWordLessons.com. It's a great spot for you to just type in a word, and then they do a great explanation with some inspirational thoughts. So I love that website, HebrewWordLessons.com. Yeah, actually, I was just thinking that because when you mentioned that last week, I did a word search on that website. So um, I love that. Um, and uh, I actually took it and... What we did with young adults was we actually shared about um, Proverbs 4.23, which, where it says, above all else, guard your heart. And so in the same way that they were supposed to guard Eden, we're supposed to guard and tend our hearts. I don't think it's the exact same Hebrew word, but I think we looked it up and it's like a derivative yes, of that same yeah. one. It's, and I love how um, 
Rod, I think, mentioned this on Sunday, too, but there's these concentric circles hmm. of these arenas that God has given each one of us, and they kind of start in within and then radiate outward. So the first place we're supposed to guard and care for is our heart. So if our heart isn't guarded and cared for, then the next concentric circle, which is your community or your family or the people, you want to guard and keep those people for Christ. And then larger, your whole church community, your city, like the the job of priesting is a huge one that we can take on. It just means that wherever we go, mm-hmm. we are actually bringing the very presence of God into that place. Mm-hmm. And so first with our heart, then concentric out your family, your close yeah. community, and then your church community, your city, and the world. Mm-hmm. Like That's our job to priest God's presence into all those places. But it has to start in your heart. Mm-hmm. And this is not just here in the first few chapters of the Bible, but Paul actually talks about this, right? In Ephesians chapter three, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its mm-hmm. name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in mm-hmm. your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I remember Rod a couple of podcasts ago said, you know, we had these professors in seminary say, I'm not sure that we're right when we say we ask Jesus into our heart. And he's like, oh, really? <laughs> right? Like there is that component that Christ dwells, right? This is where he landed on Sunday too, Rod landed that we are the temple of God. We are the new tabernacle in a sense where God dwells among Hmm. his people, in his people. No, I love that. And I think he used the phrase like we are supposed to be outposts of Eden, like our hearts are supposed to be. And I love how you mentioned that like in Ephesians, it says Christ would dwell in our hearts. I think the first verse or first mention of heart is back in the time of Noah, um, like Genesis 6 or something like that. And it talks about everybody's imagination of their hearts was wicked. Mm. And um, so like, what is our thought life like? And, you know, back in the Old Testament, they like combine both our mind and our heart heart um, because those were thought of as the same thing, like our decisions, our thoughts, our emotions. Um, And so when you get to Proverbs 4, like one of the interesting parts we noticed about it was this um, uh, in uh, Proverbs 4.23, where it says, above all else, guard your heart. And this is Solomon writing. And so ask the question like, well, how did the author do with that? Like, did he protect his own heart? And so I looked at his story in 1 Kings, and in 1 Kings 3, like when he first becomes king, it says, um, God appeared to him and says, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And so he says, I want a wise heart. Now, when I grew up, I always heard the story <laughs> that it was like he wanted wisdom. But it, uh, I think that's the Chronicles version of it. Um, in Kings, it says he wanted a wise heart, and he had a wise heart. He um, helped build the temple. He, there's like 3,000 Proverbs, it says he wrote, and everybody came to hear his wisdom. But then if you get to the end of his story in uh, 1 Kings 11, it says that he loved many foreign wives. And it says, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. So this person who started off with so much potential and so much of like trying to be like the next uh, next Adam and actually ask for wisdom in a good way, um, unlike how Adam and Eve did, um, 
he ended up falling and um, had things that turned his heart. So it seems like the question when I was realizing that he didn't do a good job is like, if the author couldn't even guard his own heart, what makes me think I can guard my own heart? Um, like, what makes you think you can guard your own heart? And um, we, we kind of were trying to wrestle with this issue. Like, is it possible to guard your own heart? Because um, it seems like uh, Jeremiah and, uh, Jeremiah 17, he, he says, the heart is wicked above all else. Like, it's deceitful and who can know it? But then I think when you get to Ezekiel, God gives the answer. Because uh, Ezekiel 36, he says, um, I'm going to give you a new heart and um, one of flesh and not of stone. So God has to be the one to change our hearts. Wow. What a picture. I mean, that's a beautiful little biblical theology of the heart that you just mm-hmm. did there. So obviously you're talking about guarding our heart. What were some of the applications then if we don't guard our hearts? What were some of the things that you encouraged your young adults with? Yeah, I think one of the things was like, um, I don't know about you, but like one of the things that I found really hard in my life is to guard my mental space. Like there's a lot of people that um, talk about dealing with anxiety. And a lot of times I think that happens when you have like a conflict that you don't feel like it went well or you should have said something, but you didn't say it. And so you replay it in your head because you think if you replay it in your head 30 times as opposed to just 20 times, all of a sudden you'll get a better answer or come up with it. Um, um, Or like you have something that's coming up in the future and you think, if you just you know play it out one more time in your head you'll suddenly get it and you're you realize you spent your whole day thinking about that um i i think that one of the things that it, proverbs 4 talks about is as soon as it says guard your heart it says three other things it says guard your ears your eyes and your feet and i think those are like the sense gates and so one of the things i just encourage people to do is to think about like what are the nutrition facts of what i'm consuming like if i'm watching stuff on social media or movies or music what is it that i'm actually listening to like is it good? Is it like messages I want in me? Um, and I think it's it's so tricky with reels these days mm-hmm. because like you're listening to these 20 second videos and just swiping and swiping and consuming these 20 second videos and not really thinking about all the content that's coming into you. Um, so. so yeah, so you're not saying that we don't have a role to play in guarding our hearts. You're saying okay. that we, we must have, we need God's spirit. You're not saying that we don't we don't actually... Yeah, participate in the guarding of our hearts. But it's just that if we think that we're going to do it on our own merit and by our own grit and willpower, there's not a chance. That's a great distinction because I think I'm not saying that when it says he'll give us a new heart, that's not abdicating our responsibility in it. I think that Solomon goes on to say, actually, you are responsible for guarding your heart. This new heart that he gives you, um, there's every time God talks about guarding, it's a command like implying we have to be active in it. Like he set it up in such a way that we have to be active in that. 100%, because if we think about Eden, right? Eden's perfect. This is where we are in Genesis mm-hmm. 1 and 2. It's created good. And God still says to Adam, you have a role, and that is to guard and keep the garden. So we're talking about a place that's actually fertile, very good, but yet you still have a role human. You still have to partner with me to maintain this and keep it this way. And you could say that sin entered the world when Adam and Eve didn't think that good was good enough, Mm. right? Yeah. And they wanted more. And 
that's kind of, I think, what we're grasping for when we're looking for these other areas of our lives to satisfy us that only create more anxiety. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned anxiety, and I immediately <clears throat> thought about our thought life guarding uh, our thought life and then thought about how that relates to anxiety. And it, actually, Paul speaks to this in Philippians 4 when he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, what does he say? Or excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But what's the conclusion that he makes at the end in verse 9? He says, and put this into practice, Mm -hmm. and the God of peace will be with you. Mm -hmm. There's actually a peace that comes from meditation on things that are noble, praiseworthy, excellent, admirable, versus the 20-second TikToks that when we hit those reels are generating a lot more anxiety and fear. Hmm. Generally speaking, usually the content is not edifying in nature. Yeah. No, and I love what you're saying because I think a lot of times we have this language of spirituality today that's very passive. Like, um, I'm going to wait on the Lord, and that's that's holy. But um, but if I say seek the Lord, that's very active, and that's what we m- see a lot in the scriptures: is seek the Lord, think on these things. Um, I actually remember there was a time where I was really anxious about something and felt like I couldn't make this decision, even though I knew it was the right decision. And a mentor of mine um, said, "Well, gave." you know you have the ability to change your thoughts like because of what Christ did you can take your thoughts captive and you don't have to be the passive recipient of your anxiety Um, which I think like so much of the time there's so many little ways that we shirk responsibility like somebody will say oh I'm you know just under spiritual attack or um, spiritual warfare is happening and I'm like no, that's probably five years of bad decisions that are all catching up to you, and now you're paying the consequences of it. Um, so there's there's a lot of times where there's just ways that we subtly try and abdicate responsibility. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, which we'll get to in a few weeks. So. How did they do that? We well, can talk about it. We can get ahead of it. <laughs> we can jump ahead. Um, okay, so if you're reading through Genesis with us, don't listen to this part because this is a spoiler alert. But um, no, um, so... Adam and Eve, uh, it says that Eve um, took and ate of the fruit, right? And um, then she gave to her husband. And uh, then Who God, was with her. Who was with her, yeah. Who was with her. I always thought that, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. I always thought Eve, like Adam's off somewhere else. And so Eve's being tempted and she's just taking the fruit. And then she has to go find Adam to give. And he's like, okay, I'll have some. But the text actually says that he was right with her. Yeah. Right when it being happened. Being passive. Being passive. Non-leading. Yep. And and then um, as soon as they get caught, like as soon as God comes and confronts them about it and says, did you eat? Um, Adam doesn't even answer the question. He just says, it was the woman that you gave me. Right. So not just blaming the woman, but also blaming God for gi- giving her to him. And How then- many husbands and wives are... <laughs> Blamed God in a moment of frustration in our marriage, probably said some similar things. Like subtly blame shifting, and then it comes to her, and she blames the serpent. And so it's just this blame shift that happens and not taking responsibility, um, which I think that that's what can happen when we don't guard our hearts well. Um, a lot of times we will abdicate that responsibility and think it's someone else's responsibility to guard our hearts. Yeah, and I think that we were talking about TikTok, which I'm not on TikTok, but I'm on Instagram. So I'm a victim of the reels as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're just hilarious. And so I just find myself scrolling through at night and literally <laughs> laughing out loud. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's this, this bad information that we can put inside our brains 
Um, and then there's this neutral stuff, like mm-hmm. the funny stuff yeah. that that we can, you know, fill our brains with. And then there's like really good stuff mm. that we can fill our brains with. And so I feel like sometimes when we say no to things, we just land in this neutral spot. But we can say what we say no to, then we should convert from this neutrality to saying yes to something hmm. that's going to actually build us, build within us, not just keep the bad stuff out, but turn us to build something that's so beautiful and more productive. And that's where I think the transforming of our mind comes. Like we can say no to things, we can sit in neutral things that are just time wasters. Or then we can turn that to say yes to something that's really going to be edifying mm-hmm. and turn our hearts towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I know I'm on a Paul kick this morning, but <laughs> I mean, we got to. Yeah, We're you're in, in the Genesis. wrong testament. Hey, <laughs> but no, no, but think about this in light of everything that we've talked about. So if we are the temple mm-hmm. individually, but then corporately, obviously as well, like our bodies are a temple and you're talking about how we guard the temple of God, guard e- the Eden, you know, right? We are, our hearts are Eden in a sense. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to tease that out right, right now, but I think about Romans 12 where he says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, um, in view of God's mercy, mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So there's your body. Hmm. And then in the very next verse, he says, but do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Mm -hmm. That there's something sacred about our minds and our bodies. Why? Because we're image bearers of God. Mm. This is where the very spirit of God dwells. So it doesn't matter just what we're consuming with our minds, but actually matters what we're doing with our bodies. Mm. We are to offer it as a living sacrifice. And that means that what we eat, how we sleep, what we drink, when we drink, how much we drink, those things all matter for guarding and keeping the very temple of God. And similar to your point, I think oftentimes we have this passive spirituality Mm. by which we don't realize that our food choices, our exercise choices, those things affect our spiritual lives. And I'll have conversations. This has been true of my own life, so this is not me casting stones. But if I'm not eating right, if I'm not sleeping right, if I'm not getting any physical exercise and my body is not healthy, I'm generally not spiritually healthy. Yeah, no, I can see that too, Like almost like a balance with that. And and I think that one of the things I grew up with, um, if I segue on this, this thought about the physical mattering, um, I grew up hearing this uh, quote all the time from pastors. They would say, you don't have a spirit, you are a spirit. Um, you have a body. And the implication was that your body's kind of like the matrix or like a shell or the avatar or something like that. But the thing is, like, the more I understood about Christianity, um, understood that Jesus couldn't just die spiritually. He had to die physically. Like, the physical body matters to God, like what we do with it. Um, We're actually going to be jumping into, uh, for the young adults, we're going to do Song of Songs next and talk about theology of the body, like how it it does matter what we do with our bodies. And to your point, Libby, I I actually, the thing about reels and stuff is I I don't want us to ever get to a place where we're legalistic and thinking I can't, you know, watch anything because then where does that end? You know, you'll eventually have to cut off all media altogether um, and be a monk somewhere. Um, but I think that if we can... That doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think that if we can find, like what you're saying, like some of the good and kind of like control what is going in, the content of what is going into our hearts. So Yeah, and what comes to my mind when you say that is... Um, the legalistic mindset of the do's and don'ts Mm -hmm. that so many of us have been handed down or have been 
you know, adopted because actually legalism is a little bit easier mm. in some ways. It's easier to just follow a set of rules. And yeah. I personally am like a rule follower, but I'd like to uh, change the mindset from one of legalistic to opportunistic, mm. that we don't just have a list of do's and do's, do's and don'ts, but we have opportunities. We have yeah. massive opportunities to embrace Christ, embrace who he is. And I love how David exemplifies this in the Psalms, where he definitely, the, the Psalms is a prayer language, mm. like an endorsed mm. prayer language by God. And it's not prescriptive, but it's descriptive of how our hearts are. Hmm. Um, and so how, when David says to himself, oh, so, my soul, why are you downcast hmm. within me? And then he recounts the benefits to himself of who God is. And so I heard this once, like we spend way too much time listening to ourselves when we should actually start preaching to ourselves. Wow. It's those thoughts that are not healthy, um, that are in our hearts. And David had them all the way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. And the, the response to that is to be opportunistic in how you view God and to mm. recount, your, take the opportunity to recount his faithfulness and to battle that anxiety, depression, or whatever it is with the characteristics of who God is and preach to ourselves in a sense. Yeah, I, I think that like some of the Psalms, David even says like, search me and know my heart, God. Like uh, 139 says, be like, learn my anxious thoughts, like, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Like he's asking God to search his heart. Um, so I think that's great. Just seeing where the Psalms actually even lead to it. So as guarders and keepers of the garden, which obviously Adam and Eve failed to do, which is why God has to set up the cherubim. Or I heard the other day that I've been saying that wrong, that the right way is the, how, how did I hear it? The I cherubim? think I heard it is. Beam. The end should be beam because okay. it's it's plural, but okay. it well, doesn't matter. It either doesn't way. Matter. But the, the yeah. interesting thing is that because they failed to guard, now God has to install a few, some new guards hmm. and actually hmm. they're guarding the new guards the cherubim are guarding from adam and eve so hmm. they adam and eve were the guarders and then they became uh -huh. the object of the guarding like he has to keep them out so it's i think for me the takeaway from that is there's just a lot at stake hmm. in this role that god has given us that it's not just like a cute little idea you're the priests the the cosmic um entities are at stake. I mean, hmm. we are the presence of God totally. in this world. And so because he lives within us, it's not us that we are the presence of God, but because he lives in us, we're his ordained image. We are the presence of God in this world. So it matters. Yeah, It matters. And so the things that you consume actually matter. Hmm. The fact that if you don't guard your heart, God's going to have to set someone, or if you don't guard your heart and then live into your role as a priest, God's going to have to send someone else to guard to do mm. the job that you are supposed to do. Because mm. there's a place, there's a street corner where you are put to be the actual presence of God and to guard. Huh. And if you abdicate that, then someone else is going to have to come in and do your job. Mm. And so there's so much at stake and all that matters, like guarding our hearts and what we put into it, what we consume, what we put into our hearts. Like Satan would love to enter in that space and just destroy the image of God in you hmm. and to take you down a slippery slope. And it's interesting how Satan actually in the garden narrative <clears throat> takes God's actual words and twists them just slightly hmm. to make his case. And maybe we could talk about that because we've been talking about mind and body. <clears throat> and we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates all these things and God is creating them. And uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> And what is it, what's the tagline? 
after everything that he creates. It is good. Mm. And yet we take these good things and they suddenly become bad when we are using them outside of the context that they were created to be used in. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I think that's interesting how you're seeing how he subtly changed it because as we see like with Jesus in the New Testament when um, uh, the devil brings uh, temptation, um, he actually even quotes scripture, right, to him. And Jesus keeps responding back with this is what uh, is written. Um, so I, I know how you're seeing that, but also you're, you're mentioning how anything that is good can be changed and used for bad like you're saying like um that's what sin is it's basically taking something that is god created um for good with intention and trying to change it um for a bad purpose yeah and that's ultimately what idolatry is right Mm -hmm. idolatry is is what is idolatry, Gabe? <laughs> I've always heard it from... Def- how do you define it? I think Tim Keller's got a lot of really good material on it. He basically talks about whenever you take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. Uh, so any t- a way to test this is if something is in your life and all of a sudden it feels like it gets threatened and you it's like a two or three on a scale of one to ten and you react as though it's an eight it tells you that that thing has somehow become elevated in your mind and you're Mm -hmm. responding to it as though it's something more like, so uh, if it's a a sport or if it's your job or if it's a relationship or friends, if those things feel like they ever get threatened, that is an indicator to you. Um, Your reaction is an indicator to you whether that thing is an idol or not. Totally. I think the exact verbiage is, have you heard of the New City Catechism? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which now. is a gospel coalition. No. Just now you <laughs> no. that? Well, yeah. no, that's Keller. Keller kind of, before oh, okay. he died, um, rest in peace. Love you, Tim. Um, with the, along with the gospel coalition, you know, you've heard of the Westminster, Westminster Heidelberg. They set out to create a catechism, which a catechism is just question and answer mm-hmm. um, document that um, helps give form to our faith. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way I can put it. But uh, there's New City Catechism. There's actually a great app. Here's a plug for the app. Get the app, New City Catechism, nice. and it has all of these very basic questions so that when you're when you're curious about the definition of something like idolatry, what is sin? How do I explain it in a very concise way? Mm. And I love the New City Catechism's um, definition of idolatry, which is this: idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator mm. for our hope, happiness, significance, and security. So everything that you were just talking about, yeah. Um, but that that just helps me. Like it's about where my hope is, my happiness is. Mm. So we take the things that God created for good, um, for us to enjoy as a means to worship Him, and then we worship the created thing rather than the Creator. Which mm-hmm. again, Paul actually uses that language in Romans chapter one. It says they worship the created thing rather than the Creator, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's what we do, isn't it? And we live in a culture that puts before us through unbelievable technology, constant advertisement to worship the created thing rather than the creator. I mean, I always laugh thinking about the way that products are marketed to us. Mm. The product is almost <laughs> the, um, it, it's not the main character. The, the, the life that they want to portray uh-huh. that you would gain, which is always this utopian life, right? Happy 
uh, happiness is generally portrayed a sense of bliss. And then the product is almost marketed as the avenue by which you can find that. Mm, right? mm-hmm. I love how Walgreens, you guys remember that commercial Walgreens at the corner of happy and healthy? Oh, yeah. Like if you just go to Walgreens, you'll just be happy and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually there's... It's weird because every time I walk in there, I feel gross and grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> But it is funny, though, We're because... We're pro Walgreens, by the way. Go to Walgreens if you need to. Or CVS. There's so many times <laughs> where there's different uh, companies where you'll see the commercial, and it's so catchy, the different message. Um, like even, uh, like, what is it? We are farmers. Everybody knows, you know, the... Yeah, All those different things that come afterwards. But but you're right. It's selling a life, or like there's a message. Um, yeah, they're not selling sent. the product. They're selling the life that they, they're promising you'll mm-hmm. gain by purchasing that product. And I would say that's how the enemy works too, right? He's trying to sell us uh, this idea of a life mm-hmm. that would come from grasping hold of things that God actually created for good, but doing it in the wrong ways and out of order. So you think about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah. God wants them to have wisdom. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to rule and subdue. If they're kings and queens and they're priests, they need wisdom. So, of course, God wants them to have it. But what does that tree represent? Yeah, well, what's interesting, I think, about that past, I was just talking about Solomon. And when God comes to him and says, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he asks for a wise heart, right? He asks for wisdom. Same thing Adam and Eve were looking for because he says, I don't know right from wrong or how to lead. And so he asks for it. He asks God, which literally is what Adam and Eve probably should have done, is ask of God. And then it says, God saw that it was good in his eyes, Um, which is so interesting that it says it was good in God's eyes when Solomon asked for this because that's the reversal of what Eve had happen, where she saw it was good in her eyes. In this case, God saying it was good in his eyes, um, if that makes sense. Totally. Wow, that's awesome. The The other thing you're mentioning about idols, I think that there's so many slippery ways where they get in um, through like, it always, there are always good things that become those ultimate things and get elevated. So for example, um, I had a friend who years and years ago, he got to go to this business conference and at the business conference, the person who was like the keynote was, um, Mr. Universe, right? So, um, somebody who came out and showed off their muscles and all the things they could do with, um, lifting weights and stuff. And, Afterwards, this friend of mine got to talk with him and ask him a couple questions and said, how long did it take you to get to where you were Mr. Universe and get all those muscles? And uh, the guy said, it took 10 hours a day, seven days a week for 10 years. And my friend said, wow, can I ask you one other question? And he said, sure. Was it worth it? And the guy thought for a second and then said, absolutely not. Because in doing that, in pursuing this career of being Mr. Universe, I traded time with my family and I lost my wife and kids. And so that is such an interesting story to me because it shows how something so good on one end can actually affect our family and our lives and others. And just how idols work. Good things become ultimate things. Yeah, and there's... Life, unfortunately for us in our time, is is a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying yes to something, you're always saying no to something else. Yeah. 
or vice versa. Hopefully, if you're saying no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Mm-hmm. And so just guarding our time and our heart in those ways so that in the end, um, we can present, teach us to number our days. This is another place where it talks about, mm-hmm. yeah. so that we might present you a heart of wisdom mm-hmm. in that you, you have to be aware of the fact that you are limited in your time and you need to guard that. Mm-hmm. And that's how you present a heart of wisdom is the fact that you recognize that our days are numbers, that things have consequences, there's a lot at stake, and so let's use this the best mm. we can to God's glory. And I think that this identity um, of being a priest speaks to that, exactly that, identity too. Because mm. you think about how idol- idolatry and identity are also enmeshed. We oftentimes use idols to secure our identity. Mm. But if we are proclaimed kings and queens and priests— that's a status bestowed on us, that we actually don't have a secure identity in this world unless it's been given to us outside of ourselves. And yet the cultural narrative is the exact opposite, which is you go out, you create your identity. Mm. And no wonder so many of us are so insecure, or we find a sense of security when we're actually performing something that we think gives us a sense of that identity. So I'm going to totally botch this. But uh, there's like a a quote of some runner who is running the 100-meter dash. And uh, somebody asked him, similar to that Mr. Universe uh, thing, like, why why do you run? And Mm. he said something along the lines of, like, when when I'm running that race, at least I know I'm worth something. Because Mm. his identity was wrapped in the fact that he was fast. That doesn't mean that you can't run fast and run fast for God's glory. He gave you the ability to run fast. But his identity was wrapped up in that performance. So he had to constantly achieve that sense of security and that identity rather than it being bestowed on you by your maker. Hmm. Yeah, what was that quote you mentioned Matt Kenny uh, would say um, oh, yes. about identity? I remember you saying... Okay, so if you are insecure, you will use, in your identity, you will use everything and everyone to secure your world. Hmm. It's good. Yeah, so Matt Kenny's our... Uh, Men's pastor at what? What's his? I'm so bad with titles, Libby. I know. You know what? All of Crossroads is bad with titles, <laughs> which brings me to another thing. Yes, he's the men's pastor, so, but, yeah. and he's other things as well. He's but some he sort of a that. team he leader. That, yeah. yeah, he's a wise leader at our church. <laughs> but when it comes to being a part of Crossroads, we we do like to get rid of these this class of like professional Christians mm-hmm. because I think to, in today's world, like we have pastors and then we have lay people. Yeah. That's directly counter to what the text actually says, which Rod mentioned on Sunday. We're all priests, we're all kings, and we're all queens. And so there's pastors, there are no lay people. There's priests that God has ordained to be his presence in the world. And I remember we had an event here like a year ago, I think Francis Chan came to speak, and we're not yes. really into these big events, but a lot of pastors, tons of pastors from around Grand Rapids and a little farther came to hear Francis Chan. And so one of them came into the lobby and said to Brittany, who's another amazing staff person here at Crossroads, this, this is such a great story. Wow, you've probably never had so many pastors in this place <laughs> at one time. And Brittany didn't skip a beat. She just responded to him and said, actually, we have 2,000 pastors here every single Sunday. <laughs> because we're all pastors. We're all pastors and priests. And this whole idea of professional Christians versus mm-hmm. the passive Christians who just are consumers, that's not a part of what God lays out in his text. And it's what 
Western Christianity has so easily slipped into that you just come and attend church, you come and watch a show, there's professional worshipers, there's professional Bible knowers, and you can just sit there and take in and then go about your week sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on Mm -hmm. your life. Well, that's not the opportunity that God lays out before Mm -hmm. you. The opportunity is for you to step into the identity that he's put on you, like you said so well, Drake, to be a priest and to priest to the world, his presence. And to me, like I grew up in a Christian home, and so my life was pretty um, just blessed in the sense that I have really strong Christian parents. But when I first started um, looking into this idea of this Mm. opportunity to live into a priesthood, Mm. there's something so inspiring about that. I mean, that's a reason to get out of bed in the morning, that I'm not here Mm. to just, you know, follow this rhythm of days where I kind of do good things, read my Bible. But no, there's a lot at stake. I have kids in this house. I have um, a whole elementary school that my kids are a part of or a high school. I have sports teams. And I have an opportunity to step into every single one of those arenas and be the presence of God in that place. Hmm. And to me, that's mm-hmm. like that cosmic identity is something that's worth living for mm-hmm. and worth living into. And it's simultaneously super weighty and weightless, right? This is the hmm. easy yoke of Christ that because that identity is bestowed on us, and especially if you're a blood-bought believer of Jesus, you can't lose that identity. God has given it to you. This is who you are. So you're either living into that identity or you're not, which is mm. so different, again, from the way that our culture operates, which is you're constantly living in the flux of, am I secure in my identity mm-hmm. or not? Um, and we could go a million ways down that route, like how fickle it is that we've created our sexuality to be the center of our mm-hmm. identity, you know, or our, our desires to be the center of our identity. But I wanted to go back to what you said, which is yes and amen. We are a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. But... There actually is a role for leaders within the church, overseers that shepherd that. But what is their role? It's to equip the saints, everybody, for the works of ministry. In fact, that's what Paul says. The whole role of people that aren't professional Christians, but that are in positions of leadership, there are, you know, like, I just want to make that distinction. We have huh. crossroads. We don't think, we obviously believe that there is a separate role for leaders in the church, mm-hmm. but their role is simply to equip every saint that walks in to that sanctuary on Sunday morning to live their lives as a kingdom of priests, right? And that's another thing that I feel like in the church has, and maybe we're going down too many rabbit trails, but the church has gotten this flipped, especially in this culture of um, mega church and celebrity mm-hmm. pastors, where the the whole church congregation or body exists for that person mm-hmm. in order to prop them up, in order to elevate them, in order to make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. Um, but the flip side is actually true. If we look at what the actual biblical role of a priest or a shepherd or a pastor, if we can use all those terms that the Bible uses, is to exist for the people. Hmm. It's a role of servanthood. Mm-hmm. So here we don't exist for people at Crossroads to prop us up as a staff. We exist at Crossroads as a staff to prop 
you up as a congregation. Mm -hmm. You're not here to pour gasoline on our dreams. We're here to pour gasoline on your dreams. So we are a people, a priesthood. And yes, we have a role here at Crossroads. The leaders do where we get paid. We want to set vision. We want to set a trajectory for this particular community, this corner of the one church in Grand Rapids. But we also are a role of service Mm. towards the people that are here because we believe God's given everybody kingdom dreams. And so we just have the resources Resources and the time to help equip you to actually live into what God's asked you to do on your street corner. Yeah, I actually, I love how you said that and that we're all in it because I think that um, when it exists, when the church or a organization exists just to prop a single person up, that's when it becomes, um, I mean, it fuels the idol uh, idolatry of egotism or any different thing like that. And that's just like antithetical to what Christ, uh, being a Christ follower is all about. And the other thing I'd say is what you were saying about how we exist um, to put uh, fire, or gasoline on the fire of people's dreams and what God is doing in their lives. Um, I think that's why the name of the podcast is a perfect name, The Locker Room, because Rod will often, he'll say in uh, service, this is a locker room. This is where we actually, we sharpen one another and we get ready to go out into the game. Um, because we're all in the game, not just the people that are on staff. So let's take that illustration even further. Maybe our job is to then hand them the necessary equipment to actually go out and do that game, right? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, you got to grab your stuff from the locker and uh, open up the equipment closet, exactly. sign out your stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Except for you get to keep it forever yeah. and use it all the time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm just so pumped to be a part of uh, Crossroads because I believe it's just a unique group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a gritty group, if Mm -hmm. I could use that um, term. It's not necessarily easy to come to Crossroads. We were downtown. We're involved in a lot of um, mission and outreach. We're not a country club church. (laughs) We are a group of gritty people who want to get after the kingdom. And so... I absolutely love our church. I love the people that sit mm. in the pews. I love the people. We don't actually have pews. I love the people that sit in the, in the folding, folding chairs. chairs. Yeah, and um, I love <laughs> and we sitting pick up in for pickleball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a this is definitely a multi-purpose gritty group. But um, yeah, I love our church. Mm. Yeah, and I'm. It's not lost to me either. And I know this now uh, that people that don't go. that don't uh, participate in the life of Crossroads are listening to this podcast. And this is for you too. Like if you're encouraged by this, this is a podcast about faith and um, Mm -hmm. we exist for the one church of um, not just Grand Rapids, but the world, you know, we're just our small little outpost of Eden. We'll call it that. Right. And that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And everyone else has their own specific role to play. And yeah, we see the church um, the way that it's described in the new Testament that, there's one body, but there's many parts. Mm. And so we're called and uniquely, I mean, we individually have uniquely, are uniquely gifted and called to a street corner, but also as a church, mm-hmm. we are uniquely gifted and called to a certain street corner. And there's other churches in Grand Rapids that are the same, uniquely gifted and called to their street mm. corner. And then we put all the churches in Grand Rapids, we make up that when God hopefully looks down from heaven, he sees one church, his mm. bride in Grand Rapids. And and we're the arm and another church is the head and another church is the foot. Um, so we all have our own succinct roles to play definitely in the kingdom of heaven. Awesome. And rather than it be a cause of insecurity, it's actually really 
comforting to know that we just have our small, we, we don't have to take ourselves too seriously, uh, but we can take God seriously and be the small piece of the body um, that we're called to be. Gabe, I want you to have the last word on this. What's burning in your heart? Yeah, well, heart. <laughs> That's a fun pun uh, based on our earlier discussion. But um, uh, yeah, no, I think I've just been so excited to see, um, and I've got to see it in my particular um, street corner of young adults, but just seeing people um, serve in so many different ways, get plugged in in serving at the church, but also in their uh, workplaces, um, seeing people that uh, are sharing on their job with other people, sharing about um, what Jesus is doing in their lives. Um, just been very exciting to see, seeing small groups and house churches um, getting started. Um, and so just grateful, uh, to be on the podcast. Um, thanks for having me, uh, again, our group, um, meets Tuesday night, 7 PM, um, post-college young adults. Um, we actually also just started putting up our sermons online as well too. So where um, can they find those? Uh, just on Spotify. If you just search the post, um, which is shorter than post-college young adults. So, um, that's what we've been doing, but yeah. And can we just say that Gabe has a voice for podcast? Oh. <laughs> He's got a great velvety voice for podcasts. I'm glad it's a podcast voice. I once heard it was a yoga voice, uh, like like if I was a yoga instructor or whatever. But um, but God I can use that voice too. Rod can. No, I said God. Oh God, I said Rod. <laughs> um, that would be weird. Anyways, but um, yeah, no, I I think that uh, I've heard a lot of positive things about podcasts. Lots of young adults have been telling me about it and stuff too. So. Um, just really encouraging. Yeah. Praise be to God. I just want to throw out, some of us are thinking, maybe listening to this and saying, I, I, I want to live into that identity of being a priest, but I'm just not sure where I'm called. Hmm. I'm not sure what my street corner is. And I think that's, I think our street corners can change throughout our lives. And I think it's an important thing to think about. And so actually here on November 12th, we have what we're calling the Calling Lab. Hmm. So it's a Sunday morning, and um, you can find details on it, about it on the website. But I'd like to invite you, if you want to live into this priesthood idea, then you're just not sure how or where or what your gifts are or how you're called. This Calling Lab is a great opportunity to attend and kind of begin to explore that together. Well, we are so grateful for... Uh you Gabe and I'm thankful for your friendship and it's fun to just sit here in conversation with you but I I really do want you to have the last word so why don't you bless us um yeah well God uh I'm actually just thinking about what David wrote um as we were mentioning earlier um God would you search our hearts um God would you see if there's any wicked way in us and um would you um create in us a new heart, God, a clean heart um, before you? Would you create that? And would you show us how to keep it, how to guard it, how to be priests over our own heart and over those concentric circles and what it looks like to be a priest in our street corner, wherever you've placed us to um, work it and to guard it and to keep it. God, we thank you that you're the one who created our hearts and created um when, when your son died, you made a way for us to have new hearts. So we ask that you just bless us this week and uh, continue to show us how to walk with you faithfully and be disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As always, if this has been serving you, hit follow and the notification bell. This is the locker room where we break down sermon stories and scripture for the race of our faith. 